This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hello there and you're welcome to this edition of our industry film and TV podcast, FNI Rap Chat Film Network, Ireland Rap Chat on the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's available on Headstuff Plus, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your awesome audio content relating to film and TV. On this show we're very lucky to speak in general terms to some really awesome filmmakers. Um, it's brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Wildcard Distribution, and the always supportive, uh, you know, going above and beyond uh, at all times, Film Equipment Store slash Hire. Uh, I'm Paul Butler Lennox, and uh, that guy over there who keeps getting mistaken for Paul Butler Lennox online and sometimes at the urinal. Uh, Paul Webster is here. Hi, Paul. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> Speaking of aw- awesome filmmakers in general, Paul. Webster is also one. Paul has a very exciting project by the name of K9, uh, which is frankly a very important documentary on the terrible act of rhino horn poaching and uh, and, and a wonderful and the wonderful story of a dog trainer in Cork who's doing incredible work in the fight for conservation to protect those wonderful cre- uh, creatures. He's uh, training some like the most beautiful animals to be protectors of, of, of those other incredible species. But if you're a dog lover, an animal lover, a lover of cork, uh, or if you're like me, a lover of Paul Webster, not literally a lover, but a lover of Paul's work, um, yeah, how can they find out more about that, Paul? Thanks, Paul. It's uh, GoFundMe forward slash canine film project. Um, So if anyone can throw a few few quid towards it, but just as important as giving it a share and sending it on to people. Um, We are going to Africa in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are going to Namibia. Oh, um, so it's a bit of an adventure. It's a bit of a wing and a prayer. So if you can support us in any way, it would be great. Yeah, I mean, if you like, this is an important documentary and this is what filmmaking is all about. So please try and support it. Shares are as good as uh, uh, donations. Uh, so please try and help out. Uh, who have we got today, Polly? We have an amazing person, filmmaker, writer, playwright. She has a lot of strings to her bow. Her name is Stacey Gregg, um, based between Belfast and London. She is a bit of a phenomenon. Uh, yeah. Incredibly creative person. What a, what a wonderful student of film, all around, like just lovely, 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 empathetic, beautiful person uh, who cares about storytelling in all its forms. Amazing person. And her film is out in cinemas at the moment. It's called Here Before. It's a, it's a really taught thriller psychological um made on a, a on a fairly small budget in in the north of ireland but it doesn't feel small it's just no, a very it's, clever it's, filming you know if you i mean it's often um, it's been referred similar similarly to the likes of if you like don't look now and some of the stronger kind of 70s thrillers You'll really like that. You'll really like it. Here before it stars uh, Andrea Riseborough, and it's really a breath of fresh air in terms of storytelling and uh, suspense. So it, I personally I loved it. So I can't not cannot recommend uh, that you go and see it in the cinema enough. And it will be out on streaming uh, services in the future as well. So keep an eye out. And she shares a lot of wisdom in in this conversation that we had. I was really 
inspired and uh, yeah kind of like taken aback I was like whoa yeah that's a great way of thinking about it and mm. a lot <laughs> there was a few things <laughs> yeah said. yeah just like you know um, never fear you know if you're if you're on the right road in terms of the work that you that you want to do you'll find your way there and she's a brilliant example of that never give up I mean if, the, the, if your instinct is guiding you never give up um, alright will we go to Stacy Gregg so we are in the studio with Stacy Gregg all the way from Oh, you're Belfast, London. I am. Area. I'm Belfast-based now, but I'm okay. over in London a lot. Okay, okay. Uh, how do you find kind of flitting between the two? It's all right. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it stopped for a bit during the pandemic, obviously, but um, I, I'm able to go back and forth. It's all right. It's crossed the, what's it, half hour? Exactly. <laughs> Same as Dublin, I guess. Yeah. Um, so how, I'll start with the obvious one. How's your, panda- well, uh, your pandemic, apart from editing, because I know you were editing a lot during the pandemic. That's right. That was like a lot of other people's, you know, a bit, a bit unknowable, a bit long, yeah. a bit, bit fraught. pandemic <laughs> Yeah, exactly, you know. Um, but, you know, we, we did all right after the first few months of uh, being in the same boat as everybody and not knowing what was happening. I was able to start working again, you know. And so obviously we posted this whole film uh, mm-hmm. in lockdown. So I did it all in my essentially in my little bedroom, wow. um, which was a, you know, a learning experience. And then from last summer onwards, I've been working pretty much, Just you know. Straight so. back at it. Yeah. Uh, do you think that maybe that extra time or that little, you know, that extra attention that you had to work on the film helped or hindered? I, I you know, it's almost impossible to answer that. Probably a bit of both. I think it helped because it was quite meditative and to have a chance in the process, which can become quite breakneck, Mm-hmm. to just stop and gather your thoughts was really valuable. But by the same token, you can really get lost in that space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can definitely I... overthink on your own in your room every day. <laughs> but I suppose in terms of like building tension and things like that, like being able to constantly go back and forth to the material and, and you know, was helpful in that regard in terms of, t- you know, no spoilers uh, on this podcast, but, you know, in terms of, the, creating the tone and going mm. back over and let you know revisiting and revisiting and revisiting. It became a very pure and intense experience. Okay. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, okay, I think fine. I've I've kind of recovered now. Okay. <laughs> so did you you essentially edited it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I was working with my yeah. editors yeah. remotely, right, but okay. but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but again, I was in my bedroom and they oh, were in sorry, their bedroom. Okay, yeah, sorry, so yeah. no, no, yeah, yeah. I didn't edit it. Yeah, I, I was worked wondering, with yeah, no, sorry, I worked with sorry. brilliant editors. Goodness, okay, that sounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> I very think, auteur. Yeah, 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 I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I started um, and I did the graphic design. <laughs> well done, me. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I couldn't. You know, I couldn't possibly have done it without the support that I had from my producers and from all my post guys. Like, you know, we, we did a lot of it at Yellow Moon as well, which although it was just down the road again, it all had to be done remotely. Towards the end, I was able to be in the same building as some of the young cast for ADR, which felt really valuable. Um, but, you know, Andrea, she was in LA, you know, quite a lot was done from London. Um, and, you know, that's an example where my producers set up a call between me and some other directors who had started to do ADR remotely, you know, and people were sharing the experience basically of lockdown and how to get through it. And that, you know, that was quite key in order to get through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very much a case of getting through it. Um, How important was, you know, this is your first feature, of course, you've done some shorts before and you've written loads and loads and loads. Um, How important were, 
were mentors throughout this pro- project for you? Really important because, you know, I was very aware going into it of my blank spots. And, you know, as aware as I was, I feel of like the areas where I was confident. And that was really important to yeah. to be able to be clear about those things, but also <laughs> to own up, to fess up and be like, I always say when they told me I had eight weeks prep or six weeks prep, I was like, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> what we do we do? Script again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I really did just ask a lot, like, okay, so what happens now and who does that? Um and, you know, there were various people that I would call up and talk to during that process, you know, in the first instance in prep. Um Shelley Love, who had just done Bump Along the Way, okay. um, was someone who I called a couple of times just to be like, Hey, you know, when you were at this point, what yeah. what you know? Um, and then during the shoot, I think I went very much into my own, um, just into myself and trusted my instinct for that part of it. Um, and then post was probably the least known, um, uh, experience that I had, uh, cause I'd only done a short really beforehand. Mm-hmm. So post, I had a lot of questions. Um, and as I say, my producers hooked me up with a few different people that were just happy to have a chat chat through mm. and that was massively helpful yeah it really does take a village to raise a yeah. film doesn't it yeah and to, yeah maybe just to go back to the inception and um, read a little bit about your kind of where it came from and like kind of looking at the uh women in your own family and that so i guess for our listeners it's always really interesting to hear you know how people can put their own you know that old thing of write what you know um, so maybe just hear about that. Sure. I mean, I think, I guess I always handle right what you know with a little bit of care because you never want people to feel restricted by that. But of course, the wisdom in it is what's the story that you can tell best that you know inside out. And I think that the the way that I talk about the representation of grief, but particularly the Laura character in the film, has emerged in these conversations I've had following, haven't done the film actually, and reflected on it. Um, and at first, the question about why Northern Ireland and and the sort of surprise at Laura's character hadn't quite connected for me. But yeah, I think that I simply put, I grew up around women like that. And that's what I wanted to see on screen. And that's what I felt I hadn't seen a lot of. Mm. Um, and so I always wrote Laura to be a fairly tough cookie. And when we meet her, like she's she's getting on with it, you know, and without getting into, you know, again, 90s Belfast. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of having to navigate really tough stuff mm-hmm. and just getting on with it. So Stay calm and carry on. I, well, <laughs> I mean... Well, yeah, without using... Depends, it, yeah. depends what... <laughs> 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 but, yeah, that's the, the vibe. Psychologically be stable and keep moving forward as well. Yeah, yeah. There was, this, there was a real sort of survival and stoicism and um, mm-hmm. and toughness, you know. I talk yeah. a lot... I've made some theatre work about this this idea of hard love and about how that really formed me um, as an adult, and I really value that. Well, Irish women in general across the island absolutely. are absolutely made of that stuff. Yes, right? indeed. Yeah, it's not the kind of lovey-dovey-tuggy. <laughs> no. uh, we don't say we love each other, we show. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you glimpse it between the cracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might take you back to kind of to the start of your creative journey. Um, how, how did... Um, storytelling become part of your life where you you know uh, made an impact that where you first kind of remember whether it be a movie or a book or when, when you began to write what influenced you kind of early on you know the first film I remember watching when I was too young was Dead Poet Society okay. and uh, around the same time m- my uncle would go to Extra Vision on Friday night and get horror films <laughs> so <laughs> by the time I was like nine I'd seen like 
Candyman, Predator, Arachnophobia, like, you know, yeah. the, the canon. Um, <laughs> so whatever that did to me, <laughs> I think I always loved cinema and I always, like, wrote poems and things as a kid. Um, the storytelling thing didn't really come until a good bit later on. I was always interested in theatre, but I never thought about writing, actually, as in writing stories. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I wrote poems and I played a little bit of music. But I, I, when I went to university, was the first time it occurred to me, I, I, like I met people my age who were like, I'm going to be a playwright. And I was like, wow, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't even attempt it until I was about to leave. Um, and my, actually, what happened was my granny died that year. Oh. And it had a really big impact on me. And we had an option to sort of write a, a sort of creative piece and it couldn't hurt your mark, but it might help. And we were doing Greek tragedy and I could not get a handle on it. I had no background, no reference, you know, and the way I got into it was modern, um, modern versions of Greek myths. So um, Sarah Kane or Burkov. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wrote a few scenes of uh, it was around the time of the Robert McCartney murder as well, which was big in the press. Um, and McCartney's sisters were in the press a lot trying to get answers and it felt very Greek. So that met with my feelings about how I'd been brought up and about my granny. And out of that came a few scenes. And that really, that really was where it all started. The genesis, yeah. Yeah, and from that point on, I didn't stop writing. So I didn't really write stories before mm. that. And then after that, so, yeah. Okay. And how much of your identity is a say, writer, do you feel like you're a writer first and direct, or is it just, you're just a storyteller? I, I always worry about sounding pretentious with this <laughs> question, but like, I think I'm just creative. And I think that it's weird that we find that hard to say, but I'm not, I don't feel like there's just one form for me. Like I, I love theatre, but the way I make theatre is very different to how I go about filmmaking or I've performed before and the way that I go into performing feels very different. So I think it just, I just, I love work, you know, yeah. I love yeah. the the whole, you know, magic of it. And mm -hmm. the al alchemy. Yeah. yeah. And so however best I can serve that or whatever form is best for the story. It's great to hear because something I've been thinking about a lot is how the industry likes to pigeonhole. And we do it to each other and I don't know why, <laughs> you know, have you found that? I, I think it's because people... It, it takes, so, for me anyway, maybe this is subjective, but it takes so long to be like, I'm a writer. <laughs> I mean, it takes you like 10 years before you feel like, you know, oh, actually, I'm earning a bit of money now. I can actually say it. It's okay. Yeah. And I think that people, it's a bit of that old, people were worried about jack of all trades, master of none. So I think, you know, it feels safe to be like, this is the thing that I do and I'm good at it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I know for years that maybe people didn't quite know what to make of me sometimes because my work was a little bit, you know, eclectic sounds too fancy for it, but like, you know, scattergun, like, but now it feels like looking back, it looks like there was a plan. Yeah, right. <laughs> developing yeah. a style at all. Yeah, and there, is, there are connections. Clearly, you can see the things that I'm, that my, you know, my preoccupations and the way that I like to work yeah. But yeah. it takes a long time to learn that about yourself as well. Yeah, you're just following your nose at yeah. the time. Like, That's yeah. the truth, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think that, that if I can say one thing for myself, I tried never to be cynical. I tried never to make bad decisions or work with, like, bad eggs, of which there are many, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if I could help it, you know. And I think those, those were really important choices to make, even though they were hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, integrity is hard sometimes, isn't it? Or sticking to your, you know. Yeah to your path or what you think your path should be. Definitely. Um, 
what um, what was it that drew you to um, film in particular? Was there a conscious kind of shift? Okay, well, I've done some theatre now. Now I want to explore. I, it was always there because I did a year course in documentary film at one point uh, uh, because, again, I thought that was something I wanted to do, but I couldn't see how it was possible without a financial Mm-hmm. safety net you know what I mean and so uh, it was I did that it was a scholarship year I had a great time but I was like okay cool now I gotta go and <laughs> pay my rent you know um, I'm a writer again. yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> Who, who'll pay me um, so I sort of put that to the back of my mind but there were things about that that I knew I loved um, the the observational documentary is my favorite and I think you can kind of sense that in the film even mm-hmm. um and editing, I sort of fell in love very quickly with that. Um, and I learned to edit on Avid. So I do have an instinct in terms of editing and I'm not afraid of that process. Whereas I think some writers are maybe a little precious about the script without realising that old adage, you know, you make a film three times when you write it, when you shoot it, when you edit it. Mm-hmm. And I think remaining open to that possibility is really key. Um so, you know, those were things that I carried with me, but I established myself in theatre and then with screenwriting. And then I, that itch that I wanted to scratch, I always knew I was going to, I wanted to make a short film just to see, mm-hmm. just to see. But don't put any pressure on it, just see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I noticed as well that you've, you've kind of co-written a lot of stuff, to, which, which seems as if you're, you know, maybe proven to yourself, but also to, to the industry, kind of earning your stripes and understanding the process and being a real student. Mm. And making a few quid. Yeah, well, but oh, I mean, but absolutely, absolutely <laughs> listen, both those things are so key, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, you, yeah. yeah you've got to, you, if you're going yeah, to, you have to play the long game, you yeah. know, and it is hard. So, yeah, sometimes... I'm in a position now, which is amazing, where I can take jobs because I really want to do them. But sometimes you have to be strategic. You say, oh, okay, I'll take that job because I might learn something from it, but also it pays quite well. Mm-hmm. And that'll, that'll give me, you know, a bit of time to, you know, so I can work on this passion project. You know, maybe I'll have a month then where I can afford to just sit and get a draft out of this thing because I think yeah. it's going to be really good. And that balance, so again, it, it buys easy. your creative yeah. time elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think that's selling out at all. I think, like, that, that means that people can remain in the industry which exactly. is a tough one to be in yeah yeah it's not, only the very privileged can be so protective yeah. of what they do and lucky them <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> i'm happy for them but like yeah yeah, yeah. um sorry you're gonna say something? uh yeah um so that's short then so obviously it, you that was you were dipping your toe in but obviously you liked it <laughs> <laughs> i did i did my toe in and then i went get me a swimsuit <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and that you know it it's true. I uh, it it was a three day shoot. Um, it was a I think it was like in the end it was like twelve grand. It wasn't a big budget, mm-hmm. but I was so excited to do it. And you know, as is the way with shorts, people don't do it for the money. People do it because they're they think that it's a good thing to do. And so there's always a kind of really cool atmosphere. You know, I think on shorts, yeah, everybody pulling together. Yeah, it is. Yeah. No one's there to like make you know. <laughs> You're not, going, you're not going to the Oscars or <laughs> yeah, you're making exactly. money. Yeah. It's kind of pure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I allowed myself to be a bit experimental with the short. You know, it wasn't it wasn't super linear. Um, I, you know, I wanted, I just wanted to explore. Um, and I'm really glad that I did that because, you, again, you don't get the chance very often. Um, but 100%, I just, it was a revelation to me because I was like, oh, I really like this. Right. <laughs> what did it prove to you? 
you know, did it, was there a, was there a light switch moment where it's like, okay, well, I can totally. Do this Once thing. I got over my embarrassment of like on the first day, they said to me, someone said to me, like, Stacey, I think people are ready to go, and I was like, action, and I <laughs> absolutely didn't realise we had to wait for the camera, wait for the sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, oh god, I've given it away, I've blown my cover. Um, but luckily, luckily they uh, they didn't, uh, you know. They didn't dismiss me at that point. Um, but, you know, once that's, that stuff is like familiarity. And once you get that, once you kind of know how the machine works, I, I love being in the middle of that machine. Mm-hmm. And I can, what I learned about myself, and this is kind of boring but incredibly useful, is that I can absorb a lot of stress. And okay. that's that's actually Again, a massive, a, a, you know, an, a, a, you know, an Irish or Northern Irish thing. It's like trauma. It's yeah, I'm like, give it to me, no problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you mean? There's no lunch. What do you mean? Somebody <laughs> didn't turn up today. Come but on, just walk. Exactly, in there. but my goodness, like just keeping a cool head and being in the moment and just dealing with it, mm-hmm. like, is I think it's half the job. I really do, um, and. And just the thrill of being on set. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's there's nothing a, it's like such it. a wonderful privilege thing. What right? a privilege! Yeah. Absolutely. And I joke. I drove my crew mad on here before because literally every day I would turn up and it was like two degrees, and I'd be like, you know, what? This is magic. <laughs> we're ma- we're making movies here. You know, like because it is. It's a you know how lucky are we? Yeah, yeah. One of the hardest things I think always to get right, and you've done an incredible job with here before, is the the casting. So is there an extent? Kind of, you know, that's the hardest part. If you've done that right, the actual shooting should be pretty, should everything. I think that's one of the things, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I would say that my years in the theatre have probably given me. So it's not an obvious crossover sometimes. And in fact, I think sometimes there's a little bit of like, oh, whether there's bad habits that can cross over from theatre into cinema. But I think working with actors and the way I like to work with actors in theatre is very much about liveness and, you know, presence. And it's quite a sort of special, ineffable thing. And I've worked a lot with actors and obviously, like I say, I've done a bit of performing. And and when I was watching, I watched a whole load of first features in prep for going into mine because, mm-hmm. I, you know, you can learn, obviously, and be impressed, but also pick and up on things. And learn more from the, the bad films. Uh, well, that's <laughs> it. Or, or just identify things. And one of the things that I feel like I did see was a lot of first features that you could see the craft, you could see the vision, and it was in, it was so impressive. But but those performances and actors want to be directed, um, and to get the best out of the very little time you have in a highly pressured situation. Um, and so that was one thing that I it was one of those areas where I felt really excited and confident going into the shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are there might be some directors who are a bit nervous of actors, and actually you just you know. Just need to get in there. <laughs> and you, you're more of a duck to order, clearly. Well, I I hope so. Well, I think I, I, so. I think that, like, you know, I'd imagine that, a, a, I know that I know for certain that a number of actors that I know love working with directors who have acted or mm. have an, an instinct for acting, you know, so without kind of line reading and stuff. But, you know, that notion of absolutely understanding what the process is, respecting that, not being on the clock. Absolutely. You, it's not about line reading. It's about what does an actor need? Yeah. And if you, if you still, if they still need to get some where how do you help them get there it's yeah. never you know you can't you can't force it you have to find something that you believe and it might not be the thing the preconceived notion of what you thought you were going to get mm-hmm. and and again that's what i mean about like the sort of being being alive to the possibility of what might come mm-hmm. on the day and you have to hold your nerve for that here's a bit of fni news for you 
Don't tell anyone, but our brand new Mentors program is approaching and we're about to launch our second phase. Don't miss out on some one-on-one opportunities to chat with some wonderful people who are passionate about helping others. Some of the really awesome people taking part in 2022 are Peter Coonan of Love Hate Fame, Ashling Franciosi, who stars opposite Sandra Bullock in her next role, director Laura Way of EastEnders, and Kieran Foy of Eli and The Haunting of Bly Manor and Citadel Fame. All you have to do to be matched with one of these or the many more film and TV folk graciously sending the elevator back down for FNI is visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI and sign up to become a member and we'll be contacting you with more information afterwards. Stay positive, everyone. Good things are around the corner in 2022. Visit wearefni.com for more things Film Network Ireland. If you're having a difficult time of things at the moment, may we suggest you visit mindingcreativeminds.ie. You're not alone out there. Right. So... How, how do you cast? How do you cast? Ooh. How does anyone cast? Huh? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I absolutely love casting. Yeah. <laughs> I love are it. You, like, are you casting all the time when you're out having a coffee or, you know? No, or, no, not really. But I think that I collect, when I see actors that have that thing, I definitely collect them somewhere at the back of my brain. Yeah. Um, and I get very excited about that. And as a writer, I used to feel like that. You would go and see something and like, you know, person in crowd number three was in there and you were just like, who are they? Because yeah. they just have a thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and then getting that, person with that energy with somebody else and you go oh do you know what would be amazing a two-hander with this person and that person mm-hmm. and sometimes that's how work can start so again when you're you know when you're when you're pressed for time you want to be with actors who have that mm-hmm. whatever that thing is that just feels alive <laughs> and again it's it's different for everyone TV TV directors might want something else they might want someone who's going to hit the same mark every time because they've got different pressures and different demands yeah. but I think for me moving forward you know, Andrea, for example, is someone who has that. That was my next, qu- uh, next question. How do you how do you cast big actors? <laughs> a wing and a prayer. A wonderful actors. <laughs> a really nice email in my case. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they have to be invested and attracted to the material, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then they have to, I guess, trust you. You know, so I think you know, I we hooked her with the material. And then I charmed her and so on. <laughs> there was no. sushi involved there, and there has, espressos. You know, and I think there has to be a chemistry. Yeah. Like, you know, again, you don't want to be under these pressured circumstances, I think, working with someone if you don't have that, whatever that thing that chimes, mm. whatever that shorthand is. And very luckily, um, the stars aligned and, you know, Andrea was up for it and... It's not helpful if you're, I'd imagine, in awe of somebody as well. I mean, you have to be mutually That's collaborating, right. right? That's right. And I think the way I thought about it is, like, when I sent out that email to Andrea, she's out there, like, as a, as a peer, you know, in the mm. industry, looking for good work to do. Yeah. And I, f- I think that that's the way you have to approach it. Even yeah. though, of course, there was a part of me that was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Andrea Rice res- yeah. responded to my email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that's because she's awesome. Like she's brilliant. Like uh, you know, even from doing the show, we, some of the great people we've met. You know, it is a case of there's always the assumption that actors are too busy, but they want to work, don't yeah. they? They want to work on good stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, and they're de- like the best are very decent, yeah. aren't they? Like empathetic people. Totally, and and you know, Andrea's sort of commitment to the to the project, you yeah. know, was just like it's just a gift, you mm-hmm. know, and, and we yeah. And one last casting question, um, casting children. 
positive really? acting guy. The, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just very like because there was a very symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. between all of the cast. You know, even some of the smaller parts are occupied by great actors, Marty McCann being mm-hmm. one. Um, but how do you how do you how do you cast children, especially a child? It's so central to the film. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, but again, like I went into it excited about that. I didn't go in sort of worrying about it. Um, and, you know, there was a really great short, short list. And Neve just had something. She has a real stillness in front of the camera that's kind of unusual. And she also was just a great wee improviser. Yeah. And so I knew, again, we would get that liveness and that freshness from her, which on screen just feels like an authenticity, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, that's what we got. But, you know, we went looking for it. And, I you know, I wanted, I didn't want a stage kid. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, again. Billy Barry, we call him down here. Yeah. But, uh, right, <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah. again, the right time, the right place, that's grand. Yeah. But for a film like this with a sort of aesthetic like it has, you, you know, the one thing you wanted was to believe, yeah. believe them. Just authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, watching it it's like, as a, we're kind of aspirational, you know, first time directors and yeah, for your first feature, you kind of have to think in terms of small number of locations and you kind of have to design it in a way. Now, your film feels like it, it, you used all those limitations so well. So maybe just, Talk about how you kind of designed the film as a first time, you know, knowing it was for a first time. Sure. Director. I mean, I think what realistically, hearing you ask that question, even one of the reasons the film probably got made was because it was realistic, as right. in it had a realistic um, ambition in terms yeah. of its skill. But one of the things that I always said when we were looking to finance it was that I, uh, I don't see... Uh, quite often films that were considered domestic would it would be used like a reductive term yeah and it was right exactly and especially if it revolved around something that felt like it was family based or you know um and i really um pushed against that so i would always pitch and talk about the the cinematic vision for the piece Mm. and how carefully designed and layered the ideas were around sound design and around production design around costume all of that stuff yeah um, in order to make give the film the the the, the, the feeling of scale and the depth that that we were aiming for, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think pushing those things together actually made it quite um, attractive to um, people who might finance a sort of the budget was around a million, okay. um, which for a, you know for a first time feature is both great but also <laughs> loads like, and no money yeah exactly yeah. It's, <laughs> such a, it's such a funny thing to yeah. talk about because yeah. of course when I first started that I was like oh that's it we're rich yeah, yeah. and then actually when it, when you start breaking down that schedule um, you know it was really tight we did it I think in 20 days and we were fighting nighttime hours child restriction hours yeah. really difficult restrictions around road closures in the north yeah. um, so many challenges uh, that the budget, you know, we were like, how are we going to do this? Yeah. And yet somehow, somehow we didn't. And I'll tell you what, those pickups, I mean, we blended them in seamlessly, but we got them guerrilla style during lockdown. Oh, really? <laughs> like, how, yeah. How, how long after was there considerable? The pickups? Yeah. Um, that's a skill in itself. If there was well, a bit of time passed. you know, actually the season had changed. So we had to like do wow. a little bit of magic jiggery pokery around that. Right. <laughs> God bless colour grading. So, yeah. So I think maybe we did our pickups quite late, like April, 
Well, yeah, something like that. Unnoticeable. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but we, you know, we went back and forth quite a lot in order to really, really blend those in. But that was the, you know, those were the sort of um, considerations, I suppose, that you have when you're working on a budget like that. Okay. And then as a kind of a genre, it is a genre piece, really. Um, how much time then do you need to just really craft in the edit? Does it take, you know, does it always take longer than you think it's going to take, kind of? I think that's a yes, and I think also we didn't get the usual experience of a test audience. Or I, I did. I locked off that film before we saw it on a big screen, right. which was terrifying. Yeah. But it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we either had to go, or you know, we didn't have the money to sort of wait. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and and you know that's that was that was tricky. Yeah. Um, but I, you know. I've said the, the sort of the genre stuff, the like what we know and how we disclose it and when and what impact that has on an audience. I always hoped to make a film where people might have different experiences. Um, and that's not for everyone, but but that is my taste. And I get excited by that. Mm. And some of the films I love do that, you know. So um, there was a lot of dancing and wrangling and notes yeah. and fighting notes. Yeah, and yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so that process was quite a long one. And it really came down to like an extra second of a look here or one word there could, you know, nudge the film in an entirely different direction. Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of exciting. And, and were there touchstones for you in terms of your, your influences that you kept coming back to? Uh, when I was making the film, not I kept myself in a bit of a vacuum because uh, you always worry that you're too porous and you might sort of like absorb yeah, something yeah, and then yeah. un- 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 yeah, exactly. that's like Rocky Four. Exactly. <laughs> oh no. Um, so I tried to stay quite pure, but the films that I have loved um, over the years that have a flavour of something, I think that's def- that I definitely was after is like Hanukkah's Cache or Picnic at Hanging Rock. Um, or I, I talk a lot about Todd Haynes's Safe, which is one of his earlier films, and it just has this incredible slow burn layering of of dread. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, you and don't see it very often. That's why I was so drawn and engrossed in it. Yeah, it's so very rare that it's done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of films are you know pertaining that that's what people are going to see or expect, mm. especially in trailers. And more often than not, people come out and go. Well, that's not there. Where's that impending danger or doom yeah. or, yeah. you know, the, that Netflix is turning over as great as they are because yeah. they're taking such a, yeah. you know, a, a, a chance on some incredible talent mm. around yeah. the place. But, you know, uh, you want to see more of it. Where you're actually leaning in. Where yeah. You're, you're, yeah. Okay, what's That's next? my yeah. taste. Yeah. I don't want to be told. I don't want to be slapped up the face with plot. Yeah. You know, like, mm. I want to just, like, s- like lean into something and, yeah. and, and look around it and go, like, what is going Like, I remember... So much exposition as well. Yeah. Well. I remember the first time I watched Caché and it got to the final scene. And I shouted at the screen. <laughs> I was like, what? And I was, I was livid for about a week. And then I suddenly, I was like, I hated it. And then after about a week, I was like, oh, no, I loved it. I loved it because it was still on my mind like yeah, over a week later. Yeah. Made you forget you were watching it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I love, I, yeah, so. I might ask you, when we ask a lot of people that come on, how you how you deal with rejection. <laughs> like yeah. quite literally the, you know, the, the physical or impulse yeah. you have towards it and then how you kind of, from a mindfulness, I guess, point of view, yeah. how you respond to that then around that. Ooh. I mean, there's a lot of rejection um, and, it, the, you know, it's a long journey um, and I think about my poor parents, like when I was shuttling around penniless in my 20s and they were like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. Um, and 
dealing with rejection then felt really seismic. And I think that I have got much more philosophical about it as I've got a bit older because you just have more life experience and you know it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. But also I think, you know, a really good friend of mine said, just as I was going into this, making this feature film, and she was like, I can't remember what the film was that she mentioned, but she was like, I love this film and everybody else hated it. And she was like, you just have to make the film that you want to sit in the audience and really enjoy. And it, it's the same thing of that, you know, you can't, a film can't be all things to all people. Mm -hmm. So stop worrying about it, you know. And I guess that was one of the big steps forward for me. And I had a lot of practice in theatre because, again, the theatre I made was also quite divisive. And I, and there's an, I had to accept that because that is the stuff I love. I, I would rather see a glorious mess any day than something that I just come out of going like, okay, I saw that. Eh. It was all right. It was good. Yeah. Boring. Yeah, you yeah, know, it, it, it could be really like good in many yeah. ways, but like, do I, do, I, do I feel like I've seen something new? Do I feel different? You know, mm -hmm. so there's something really scary, I think, about acknowledging that you're the sort of person that makes that work. And so you have to work out. So sometimes for me, even work that could be perceived by some as a failure is actually is actually really successful at what it's done mm -hmm. um and and you and i think pick your battles because you're not <laughs> you know what i mean you can say that to someone and they'll be like whatever <laughs> you you got a you got a warm two star get over it and you're like okay but what have you learned from it and did mm -hmm. somebody come in and say my god i've never seen anything like that you know so i think it's been a i think it's been a long slow process over the years of learning not to like read everything mm. and get hung up on things mm. and trust whenever you get your next commission or your next job that there's a reason that, that that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I don't know, make the work that you want to see. Um, that's Full of uh, questions yeah, today. Yeah, it's been a while yeah. since we were in the studio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, brilliant answer. Um, yeah, it's something that ha comes up all the time, you know, and and... Uh, yeah, we're we're sometimes we're surprised from doing this. We're on our hundred and sixtieth episode or something now. You know, sometimes we're surprised by the well, we're not really anymore. But for the first while, we were kind of surprised almost by the people who were facing rejection. You're kind of thinking, oh, you're you're in a way in a hack, you know. Yeah. But it never. Yeah, ends. you have a film on Netflix this week, and then they're talking about like huge rejections. Absolutely, it never stops. It happened the week before. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It never stops. And you're like, what? Yeah, I had something I was working on for the best part of two years and it it looked like it was going to go, it looked like it was going to go and then it suddenly didn't. Right. And you're just, and you, you know, you've invested so much, it's so hard, it's madness, you know? Mm -hmm. But you just have to dust yourself There's off. There's an element of embarrassment as well, especially if you're, you know, gathering your team and then it's like, oh, yeah, I feel like I'm letting these people down yeah. in some capacity. And Absolutely, sometimes it's for reasons beyond you, sometimes it's because mm. of those bad eggs mm. I talked about. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> it's a really tough industry. For you, it seems that you're, there's no dearth of ideas. So is that part of it just that you have lots of different plates spinning you at different projects at different stages? Yeah, although, I mean, there comes a point where that's that can be unsustainable. Yeah. And I think uh, that's another part of it is my brain does and did work like that quite a lot, but I've had to learn to give myself time off as well. You right. need to, like, refuel. Yeah. Um, and there will always be something to be working on. There'll be always something to do. If you're freelance and creative, like, yeah. you know, that you, you could never stop working. And so I think just getting better at acknowledging that and have, having proper downtime, you know, is, is, is key to keeping going. Mm -hmm. What about mindfulness? 
uh, do you practice any mindfulness or how do you look after yourself in downtime? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I do. I have (laughs) taken the baths more recently, actually. Um, I've got, I mean, I've got, I'm getting fancier in my old age. Like I, I love an oil steam room and all. (laughs) Um, It's like I say, it's a really new thing for me because I never used to, but um, you know, well, we have an allotment actually. um, And you know, it doesn't cost that much. And it, when you're there, you're literally just there, and I love that. It's for me, it's like driving, but driving's not good for the <laughs> for the climate. Um, yeah. But there's something I find very therapeutic about it because you can only be driving, mm. and you're sort of concentrating, but not really. Well, I mean, you're actually sure you're on the yeah. road, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean. There's a you're quality. To focus on there's one a quality thing. to that mm-hmm. that's quite meditative. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, when I was younger, I used to do. You know, I used to paint and stuff, and I just don't really do it anymore. But that that sort of meditative, you know, whatever that is, I know that's good for me. Mm-hmm. So trying to build it in. So the allotment is a good way, for example, of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then just making sure that you give yourself I mean, that. there's no right answer. So some people say, you know, I go and play tennis or I just yeah. I just try to be present when yes. I'm not working, you know, for other people or, or in other things, you know. They, you know, you don't sit down on a rock. Well, I think for <laughs> me as well, like, I'm a, you know, I'm a parent now as well and yeah. my goodness, things change. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you, you know, so I think I'm much more, I'm much more brutal with my time in a good yeah. way, you know. I'm like, no, oh, it's the weekend, clocked out, you know, because I've, I've got to be there for him and, and I love that and... Yeah. You know, I think that it's, you know, it was a very healthy and welcome thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what can you tell us about the next big thing that you're working on? Well, give us the <laughs> scoop. Yeah, um, I, actually, it won't be long now. So I just did a block of TV for a new show for HBO and Sky called The Baby. And it's a horror comedy. Um, and I, it's due to go out in like April, I think, in the States. So Amazing. pretty soon, yeah. So just tying that up now. As a writer? And As a director. As a director? Oh, on yeah, that? yeah, oh, directed amazing. a block. Oh. oh, wow, congrats. I know, again, crazy. Like, because I didn't, that's what I mean. Like, when I made the feature, I was like, well, if I get, if I get away with this, that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then these opportunities have come along. And so we'll incredible. see where it goes. To see that. So, yeah, what... Um, Give us a little pitch. A little bit. So it, it is about um, a woman who acquires a baby. She's in her late 30s. She doesn't want one, but she acquires one. And every time she tries to get rid of it, terrible things happen. The baby <laughs> is absolutely malevolent. Um, and the show is just really, I think it's just really fresh and smart. And it's obviously very much about the anxiety around uh, what it means to for society to tell you that you should have babies at a certain age and you know um i think yeah i think it's going to be fun the team behind it's really fun I shooting mean, with babies yeah wow yeah right <laughs> yeah. shooting babies out of cannons but i, I think <laughs> just the 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 theme is so present yeah. right now i think it, like every everybody my age it's like big topic mm-hmm. of conversation you know so mm-hmm. yeah I hope you hit that so all your horrors and fears will be realised okay. <laughs> in this show <laughs> okay. I think amazing um, I might ask you a little bit about um, another bit of work that's coming out that you wrote uh, Ballywater mm-hmm. um, what was the inception of that project and for you and um, it, it's it's already gathering a lot of attention in the press and stuff so are you excited to see that in its yeah yeah I mean yeah it? it's uh so it's de- I think it's finished now, um, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, that came from a, cre- a relationship I had with, um, a creative relationship with Prasanna, the director, Prasanna Poonaraja. And we've known each other for years. And he, like me, 
has been a performer. He was actually like worked for the NHS as a doctor originally, oh, yeah, and then right. and then became a, an actor, um, director, um, and we had worked together on a number of things. And at one stage, we talked about you know working on something bigger together, and we kicked around a few ideas. And then I, I just. I wrote the script over Christmas and I sent it to him as a New Year's present. <laughs> I emailed him the script and was like, there you go, make it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, here's, here's, a, here's a small gremlin, don't pour water on yeah. it after, after midnight. Um, yeah, so... And totally d- a bit different to... Yeah. Stuff, yeah, I mean, it really came from this idea of like... Well, going back to what we were said about hard love um, and about wanting to say something about like the sort of the beautiful lesser seen underbelly of Northern Irishness mm-hmm. uh, and it, it it sort of comes through this relationship between the two main characters in the film one who's a sort of young woman who's driving taxis and lost her way a bit and the other who's an older guy whose marriage is really on the rocks and as part of his recovery he starts going to a sort of community comedy club mm-hmm. and he's a repeat fair and the film you know Paddy Cailty and Shana Kerr's like yeah yeah, yeah. It's great to see Paddy Cailty doing work He's as well. He's yeah. just such a ledge. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he came on board. He was really invested. Again, he totally got the script. He, he and Brizana seem to, like, really get on brilliantly. Shana, like, the whole works. It's just, like, it was an absolutely lovely gang. And, yeah, it's brilliant to have Paddy involved. He's, he's such a great brain as well. Like, I, I, I'm kind of really enjoying his, like, not renaissance, he never went away, do you know yeah. what I mean? But I love, yeah. I kind of love the feeling that he's back yeah. and he's got something to say, you know, so. That's great. That's great yeah. to be a part of, yeah. Um, any any tips? What would you say to yourself? Just, you know, give you another vague existential question before you go. Great, I love them. Um, Hit me. What kind of tips would you give yourself as a teenager that would be relevant, you know, to kind of ease your load a bit? I feel like because I'm such a sci-fi nerd, if I told myself anything now, I'd ruin my tra- trajectory and I wouldn't end up here. <laughs> yeah. Don't mess with the, the, the timeline, Marty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, th- this is a weird one, and I think it's specifically for me or from for people from my background. But I had, I didn't really have any sense of entitlement, and I say it with caution because it's it's quite a sort of stigmatized. Um, concept entitlement because we see it probably abused more than mm-hmm. not but increasingly in my 20s as I started like uh, you know once I'd written my first few episodes and things and I had the credentials and I knew I could do it the thing that took me a while was that people would walk into a room with this like sense that they could do it and I fell for it for years and in fact occasionally I was in a room and I remember looking around one writer's room and going, like, everybody's bluffing. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's just bluffing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're blagging yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, I can be a blagger. I can do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, so I kind of blagged it a bit until until suddenly one day I was like, oh, no, that is me. Like, I can walk into a room and mm-hmm. I do feel confident. But that was a real process. But I guess, I don't know, like, I, I don't know how, I, I, I can't say that in a really pithy way. But just that, you know, you you, you can do it. You and do just it. because some people were maybe given the tools or the, you know, that kind of support that said, of course you can do it, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're any more equipped to do it than you are, you know. Um, and that, that was a turning point, I guess, for me, um, realising that, I, you know, in that, that entitlement, yeah. I, could, I could have it too. And it didn't mm-hmm. need to be a, 
an inflated thing. It was just like, yes, I actually can do this. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Evidence based research. Yeah, um, exactly. The imposter syndrome is something that comes up, you know, regularly for people, you know, across the industry. And I think that, you know, it's something that keeps us sharp and grounded. But, you know, there, it needs to be in, in a creative's life. There needs to be a. I think a so. I think for me as well, the cut and thrust, like, you know, I was working in London, you know what I mean? And there is like, cult- like culturally, I don't want to, not going to go in for generalizations here. <laughs> but. There, there was more of a kind of culture of pu- pushing yourself forward and, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of sense of entitlement. I definitely experienced it and it sort of pushed me back for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know whether it was a combination of my background, my accent, you know, the fact that I didn't come, I didn't have any frame of reference in terms of someone who was in the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, for a while, I just like didn't say anything and then I was mysterious. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, you know, then people didn't know and it worked quite well. Yeah, yeah. Um, on, you know. Uh, Who wrote this? Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> just like that. Just like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, well, that was lovely. We're conscious of time. We know sure. you have a Q&A and there'll only be Q's and no A's if you don't go soon. So. Um, <laughs> could talk all evening. Yeah, it's been so it was nice. lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. so much for coming out. Really Pleasure. insightful. So um, best of luck with the, the release we'll be encouraging everybody to go see it we, we loved it so thank you so much thanks so much lovely F&I Rap Chat is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network and recorded at the podcast studio in Dublin City Centre shout outs to our sponsors Wildcard Distribution and Film Equipment Store this episode was produced and edited by Larry McGowan see you next time on Rap Chat and before we go here's another show we recommend that is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network The Podcast Studios is the home of the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's where lots of our shows are recorded and we work on editing, promotion, videos, live shows and lots more. As a podcast production company with three state-of-the-art studios for audio and video in Dublin City Centre, we can work with you to tell great stories in a professional and engaging way. From government organisations to charities, arts groups to international brands, entrepreneurs to hobbyists, we've worked with everybody and we can help you to get the word out. Whether you need studio time, you're hosting a live stream or webinar, or you need support with editing or marketing, we can tailor a package for you. For more info, head to thepodcaststudios.ie.